God is real, amen? Hey, can you help me out? Uh, There's something that happened when I was growing up that I want to recreate here today. Some of you know uh, what is getting ready to come at you, but I'm going to say he is risen, and you're going to say he is risen. He is risen. 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 Come on, let's say it. We're not at a golf tournament. (laughs) There's no one teeing off right now. The living God is here. The God of transformation is here. He is risen. You know, I, I don't know about your week, but my week was a rough week. Anybody else have a rough holy week? Yeah, I had a rough holy week. And I don't like it when you're supposed to feel good and everything in life makes you feel bad. Anybody else? I'm like, this is kind of like the Super Bowl Sunday for pastors. You know, this is like, it doesn't get better than this for us, you know? And like, I'm all excited. And it was just like one hard thing after another hard thing after another hard thing. And then the icing on the top was yesterday. How many of you were at our Easter carnival that we did at the, oh my goodness. Wow, that was amazing. But while we were setting up, right, I was put in charge. You know, they were like, hey, J.D., here's a good uh, metaphor for how bad we need you here. Why don't you set up horseshoes? You can't screw that up. That'll be a pretty easy one for you to do. Just hammer these stakes into the ground, and then people can throw things at them. I was like, okay, got it. So I'm hammering in the stakes for the horseshoes, and of course, I, I gave it a good, strong swing, missed the stake, and hit my hand. Right, and it's still a little swollen. I'm, you know, I'm thankful. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I hit my hand with the hammer. I can't even fully be present at the carnival because my hand is throbbing the whole time. And then we had to leave the carnival. Somebody who's in charge of youth sports, hear me. We don't want to play games on Easter weekend, okay? We don't want to do it. And so my son, my wife and I had a miscommunication, which is the first time in our marriage it's ever happened. And, and so I, it's, it's amazing. I guess it's just a sermon illustration. We're normally just like, but this time, I thought we weren't playing. She thought we were playing. So we committed our son to play in a game. And of course, where's the game? Houston. Why am I driving to Houston on Saturday before Easter? This I still don't know. But you know what? I'm like, what a, I'll get some quality time with Kevin. It's going to be fun. We drive all the way to Houston, and my hand is throbbing. I leave hitting my hand and get in a car and go to a soccer game. And, and guess what? We lose 7-0. to zero. Okay? So now I, I'm like, can it get any worse? Like, really, can it get any worse? Now, some of you guys know this. I'm a massive Austin FC fan. Like, just, oh, I love them so much. And if you're not, we will pray for you after the service. And so I get home, and I'm like, you know what? The game must be over. By the time I got home, I'm like, the game must be over. And I was like, hey, boys, just put it on. Rewind it to the beginning. And we'll just watch it from the beginning, and, and you know, it'll, it'll be great. And so they turn the game on, and as Kevin is rewinding it, the TV freezes. Now, I think the game is over. And the TV freezes, and I see the score. Austin FC 0, DC United 2. And at that point, I was like, I can't do I can't take any more loss. I, like, have you? I was like, I can't. I've already hit my hand. I lost, my son lost seven to zero, and now my team is going to lose two nothing. I was like, turn it off. I don't even want to see it. And I go to bed, and my cell phone has my alarm on it. Now, I know some of you are judging me. Blue light, don't look at your phone before you go to bed. I know, I'm sorry, but I use it as an alarm. And there's a text from one of my friends, and it says, let's go!
And I'm like, what? <laughs> Let's go where? <laughs> and it was on my group chat with a lot of us that, that watched the games together. And, and, and I'm like, why in the world would Jay text me, let's go at 9 o'clock? We got destroyed to nothing. Like, what, is this some sort of weird joke? And so I go and I check the score, and we won 3-2. to two. And we, <laughs> listos. And so, and, and here's the thing. We scored three goals in the last eight minutes. And I, I mean, of course, so I'm going to bed. Now I'm excited, right? Like I'm like, yeah, you know, victory. He has risen. <laughs> but I was thinking about it. I, you know what? I, I believe if, if you hear anything today, you need to hear the game is not over. The game is not over. Today is the day where we stop everything and celebrate the ultimate victory that has happened on the earth. Today is Easter. Today is the beautiful collision of of the plan of God and the victory of heaven manifesting itself on the earth. The fulfillment of Jesus' plan to rescue humanity back into his perfect design to walk with him and to know him. And not just to know of him, but to, to feel him, to feel his breath. It's what we celebrate today. But we got to the celebration because there was a part of the game that felt like it had been lost. And I believe that the enemy, when Jesus died on the cross, thought that he had won. But he checked the score before the end of the game. Because on the third day, Jesus, who had died on a hill that literally is translated skull. This was a place of death. This was a place of destruction. This, was, this is where things were left to rot and die. Jesus, is not, his last breath was not a sweet smell. It was horrific. And then when Jesus died and he shouted, it is finished, he breathed his last breath. And in that moment, we were in between the pain and the victory. And I believe some of you are in between the pain and the victory right now. And you showed up at church maybe for the first time in a long time. Not because everything in your life is going great, but the score is 2-0. And you can't figure out how in the world am I going to get out of this hole? How am I going to get out of this place? And you're here to not hear me speak, but to hear the living God say to you, the game is not over. The game is not over. Because out of the same mouth that said it is finished and breathed its last breath, 
breath came back into his lungs as he conquered sin and death. Coming back to life, finishing what our sin had destroyed. He's a God of victory. And I don't know what fight you're in. I don't know what struggle you're facing. I don't know what difficulty you are in right in the middle of. I don't know what family drama. I don't know if your kid's team lost 7-0-2. I don't know if you were the coach and so everybody's yelling at you or you're the ref. Poor officials, you know, like bless them. Yeah, it's amazing. Like I even listened to our sideline yesterday and I was like, as if these guys have enough emotional capacity to care actually about making our team lose the game. They don't, they, isn't it weird how we feel that? And we'll blame them like, oh, they're playing it one-sided. They don't care. They don't care. They're making $30 an hour. They don't care about your kid, my kid, the other team's kid. They don't know them. All right, but this is what we do. Why? Because losing hurts. Losing makes you do things that you're not proud of. Have you felt this? Have you, have you felt how, how losing will provoke you to behave in a way that when you see video of yourself, you're like, there's no way that that's me. There's no way that I acted like that. There's no way that I said that. It's because it's the pain of loss. My, my goal very simply for us today is to be reignited and maybe for some of you reunited with the love that God has for us. John 3.16, maybe one of the most famous passages of scripture, says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, I can't tell that scripture without telling maybe one of the most humiliating preaching experiences I've ever had. I was uh, actually in downtown Houston, Go Astros. And uh, I was there with a few of my friends, and we were, we were like, went right down to this like place. It's kind of like the sixth street of Houston. And there was a few teams we, with our college ministry that I was a part of at the time that we went out on Halloween night. And our goal was just to, to be light in the darkness, right? Like we just want to love people. We want to bring the love of Jesus to that place. We want to boldly preach the gospel. We want to see God move in power. We want to see people make transitions in their life from darkness into light. And then we are all fired up, prayed up, worshiped up. And we hit the street. And here's the thing. The whole night started wrong. It kind of was like a, a 2-0 start, if I'm really honest with you. Because here's the thing. We had done a lot of training and preparation about, like, when we're out there, like, you know, doing a drama or preaching the gospel, we were kind of, like, expecting guys to be disruptive. And so we had a whole plan. You know, if somebody runs into the middle of the drama, like, hey, let's get a bunch of guys around them and just hug them and carry them off to the side. And we, we, you know, we had talked about it. We had prepared for it. Nobody prepared us for a group of girls doing it. Like, we didn't know. And so literally, this is what's happening. We are doing our best in very simple, dramatic uh, movements to display the radical resurrection of Jesus. And one of the guys is playing a cross 
Okay, and he's standing there like this, actually wearing all black, just like me today. And he's standing there like this. He happens to be the most beautiful human being God has ever crafted on the earth. Like, I mean, I have, like he is gorgeous, okay? Like, the, it's one of those dudes where it's like, man, I'm not attracted to dudes, but bro, you are a good-looking guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, you are a good-looking homie. And he's that guy. So he's standing there just like this. And a girl comes and begins to twerk in front of him in the drama. All of us look at each other and we're like, what are we supposed to do? Like, we have planned for a guy to do something crazy, but like, what do we do with a girl freak dancing the cross? Like, this is not what, and so I go over to her and I'm like, I don't want to touch her. So I go over to her and I'm like, excuse me, ma'am, um, would you mind maybe waiting until we're done, right? It was horrible, right? So that was a start. For one, one zero right there, right? It's like one zero. No one was impacted by the gospel. We were all distracted by the twerking of the cross, okay? Like that was just all sorts of inappropriate and wrong. And, and so now I'm supposed to go up and preach the gospel. That was my, my role, okay? So I run out and I'm like, hey, everybody, Jesus loves you. The Bible says in John 3, 16, and I blank. <laughs> and so I'm standing there, and I've gotten everybody's attention. And I'm like, John 3, 16. And I like look at my team. I'm like, help me, help me, help me, help me. And they look at me, and they're like, I'm like, have we all forgotten the word? Have we? And literally, this is what I have to do. I have to say, hold on. Go find my backpack in the pile of backpacks. Get my Bible. Oh, yes. Come back. For God so loved the world. By far the most powerful night of ministry I've ever had. I mean, there was just not enough of us. The harvest was plentiful. The laborers were free. Few, you know, I mean, no, it, it was a disaster. The reason why I tell that story is this is because John 3.16 has become so familiar that it's easy to forget. So everybody says, oh, we know that scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But do we really know it? This within itself is the collision. This is, this is where the entire story of God begins to unfold is in this scripture. That God loved us so much that it compelled him. It compelled him to come into our brokenness, to come into our filth, to come into our sin, and to love us and make a way out for us right there. We're here today because of the love of God. We're celebrating today because of the love of God. And this foundational, fundamental truth that God loved us, that God so loved us, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, will be rescued 
from death and spend eternity with him. I want to tell you that the main enemy to you believing that is not the sin that you might feel that you're stuck in. The main enemy keeping from that truth to sink from your mind into the belief system of your soul is not the bad habit that you wish that you could get rid of. I believe that the main enemy of this truth, moving from our mind to our heart, Jesus described as the yeast of the Pharisees. The yeast of the Pharisees. It says this in Romans, or excuse me, in Luke 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against what? The yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body after they can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw it into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. The yeast of the Pharisees, we sometimes refer to as the spirit of religion. Ultimately, what this is, is this is the opposite of receiving the love of God. This is a belief system that we need to perform in a certain way to receive the love of God. That there's things that we have to write within ourselves before we can experience the grace and the resurrection of Jesus and what he's made available to us. Do you know how much yeast it takes to make a loaf of bread? 1% of the weight of the flour. 1% of the weight of the flour has enough to disrupt the purity of the flour. This is why most of our fight in the church and what keeps us from even coming into the church are not these big questions that sometimes we feel like we need to answer, like, is there a God? But it, really, it's, is there a God that can love me? We, we, we can put all sorts of things on billboards, and we can make things big and loud, and, and we can say it's this and that, but ultimately it comes down to, is there a God that loves me? Because there's this 1% of the weight of the flour, there's this yeast that has, got, that has got so kind of just worked its way into our belief system that this verse that God so loved the world has become something that we don't receive, but we recite. Wow. 
And Jesus' whole ministry on the earth, everything that Jesus did on the earth was to attack that 1% of the weight of the flower. All of his messages that he preached, everything that he went after was, was to protect us from the deception that it's anything other than what Jesus does for us that saves us. And so much so that he would go on these, these tirades of storytelling that we call parables. And he would tell stories, and one of probably the most famous is in Luke 15. And the whole genesis of this moment was that the Pharisees, those who believed that there were things they had to do to be right in the eyes of God versus receiving what God had done for them to be right in the eyes of God. They see Jesus hanging out. It says in Luke 15, verse 1, with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. You know what I call those people? Normal people. Jesus was hanging out with normal people. He wasn't spending his time hanging out with all the, the, the righteous guys, the guys who was seen by the world as like, oh man, man, these are the smart dudes. Like these guys are going to change the way that the culture thinks. No, no. Jesus was, it literally says in Luke 15, 1, that he was hanging out with sinners, with tax collectors, with normal people. And the Pharisees see this and they're like, man, if he really, if he was, a, if he was who he says he was, there's no way he would interact with them. And why do they believe that? They believe that because they think that it's about what you look like on the outside when Jesus was all about transforming us on the inside. So they were like, this doesn't look right, Jesus. Therefore, you should be conscious of what things look like. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I came to rescue those. I, I didn't come to high five the righteous. And, and he, he goes on, he begins to tell these stories. These are, these are significant because they tell us so much about us and they tell us so much about God. And one of the stories that Jesus tells us is he is literally combating the yeast of the Pharisees. Is famously known as, as the parable of the prodigal son. And you probably have heard this. If you have been in church, grew up in church, visited church, this is probably not going to sound new to you. But again, let us not be those who just recite the word, but receive the word. It says this in Luke 15, Jesus is telling these stories. He, he starts off by talking about a lost coin and how he, this person went to all these depths to find this lost coin. And then he, then he goes in and he says, you know what? There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. I want you to understand, Jesus is painting a very unique scene here. Because the uniqueness of this moment was not that there was a division of property and resources before the father had died. That would have not been an abnormal custom in the day that the father actually, before he dies, gives his inheritance to his kids. 
But the uniqueness here is, is that Jesus is painting a picture that the son did not feel that the father had anything to give him. So the son initiating this moment is what would have been ear-opening for the listeners. Not that he was dividing his property, but it was the son's idea to divide the property. Because hear me, the kingdom of heaven always works in authority. God is our authority. In Psalm 23, the psalmist says that he is our shepherd. God is in control. The, the, the thing is, is that what we fight against is that we want to be in control. Sin entered the earth because Adam and Eve wanted to be in control. They heard the lie, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God, knowing the difference in good and evil. And since that moment, we have been wanting to be like God, wanting to be the authority of our own life. And let me just go ahead and tell you, that doesn't work in the kingdom of heaven. Our God is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Our position is to submit to him. He does not submit to us. And if that rubs up against you, hang in because the story gets better. So you have a son that says, I don't care about authority. I don't care about how things work in your kingdom. I don't care about how things work in your house. I want you to give me what is mine. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got all that he had together and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And then after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. Isn't that how that goes every time? Right? It's like, you get beat up by your own decisions and then the world just keeps beating you up. He had blown everything and then there's this economic downturn and right when he was like, oh, I'll just make some more money, there is no money to be made. And it says that he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen in that country who sent him to feed to the fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But listen to this. But no one gave him anything. Your know, inheritance is kind of a funny word. Brings up a lot of funny emotions. We oftentimes think inheritance is primarily monetary. It's money. It's resources. It's property. And so you hear inheritance and you have one or two responses. You're either going to get one or you don't. Right? Like, and, and, and I'm in the I'm not category. You know what I'm saying? Bless my parents. But that's just not how they just, they didn't strike oil. Right? And so I would often read about inheritance and I would think like, oh, okay, yeah, this doesn't, I, I don't really, really register. And then it hit me, you know, like inheritance is way more than money. 
You know what I inherited from my dad? That's actually way better than money. I inherited his name. And my dad is a man of God. And the name Griffin means something because of how he lived. And I inherited that. I didn't do anything for that. His righteous life, his commitment to integrity put something in his name that when I meet people that know him, they trust me. Why? Because of what I've done? No, because of what my dad did. Inheritance is so much more than just money. And inheritance is like we... We, we get what our father has done. We, we get what our, what our mother has done, what they've stood for, fought for. And sometimes that's not good stuff. It's not always good. But we get it all. And it's like our inheritance is like this bowl. And we, we, you're given it. Now what you do with it determines what happens to it. It's set. It's fixed, man. If it's, if it's monetary, picture this thing filled up with gold. If it's character, if it's broken mess, and just like whatever it is that you're getting, it's like this is it. Now, the question is, what are we going to do with what we have been given? What Jesus is getting at in this parable is that this young man was given an inheritance, and what he did with that inheritance was that he blew it. He wasted it. You know, like, bad choices in our lives, they, like, come and it's like, it doesn't really, it's not going to break it. One, one bad choice is not going to break your inheritance. It's not going to ruin your life. It's, it, there's damage, but it's not catastrophic. Then you make another bad choice, another bad choice, a little, little bit more. And then all of a sudden, culture, life, and you're looking at your inheritance, and you're like, oh, no. What am I supposed to do now? I didn't intend to break it. I didn't intend to squander it. I didn't. It's not what I wanted. And you know what the next scripture is? This, after he's looking at all of this brokenness, what's it say? He came to his senses. It says he came to his senses. And he says, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am. This is all that's left of me. I was given something and I broke it. I was given a name and I ruined it. And I was given money and I wasted it. And nobody will help me because nobody wants damaged goods. Have you felt that? Nobody wants damaged goods. Nobody wants to buy a car that's been flooded. Nobody wants to buy something that's been broken. 
Nobody wants damaged goods. No, that's not, we don't like damaged goods. We like new goods. We like new things. We don't like broken things. And, here, and, and, that, and this son knows it. He's like, look, I'm so broken that it didn't matter where I came from. The only job I could get was feeding the pigs. And it was so low down on the totem pole that dinner wasn't even included. Because that owner of that field in that country looked at him and said, dude, you are damaged goods. You ruined it, man. And you know what happens to damaged goods? They stay in the field alone and they starve to death. Aware that they're broken. Aware that they're wasted. But it says he came to his senses. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death and I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and went to his father. You know what? I I think that that walk was not a short walk. When he got up and went to his father, that was a journey. And that was a journey of silence. You know, when Jesus breathed his last breath, it was silence. His disciples were like, what now? What do we do now? He said this, but now that I'm seeing this, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. And he's walking to get back to his father. And he's like, I'm just a bunch of pieces. I don't, I don't have anything. I, I, I don't have anything to give him back. I, he's going to be so embarrassed. He's going to be so disappointed. Like, look what I did. Look what I, look what I did with my life. I, I told him I knew better than him, and look what I have turned out to be. And he, he's walking down this path, and he's just picking up all the pieces of his life. And then it says that while he was still a long way off, can you imagine he's walking, and he's feeling the shame the loss, the embarrassment, feeling like, man, look, I blew it. I know I blew it. I, you don't have to tell me that I blew it. I know I blew it. And he sees this father way off. Why would Jesus tell this story? Why would Jesus tell this story? Because this is not a story. This is all of our stories. This is all of us. This is, we're all the prodigal son. We've all been given something beautiful that we broke because of the sin that is in us. It's all of us. It's not just some of us. And Jesus wanted us to know that when we begin to make our way back holding the broken pieces of what we've been given, he runs to meet us. 
His motivator was not disappointment. It was love. Disappointment doesn't make you run. Especially now I'm a dad. It takes a lot to get me to run. My kids are still in high school. I, you know, they, like I can't imagine when I'm 60 years old, get me to run. It's going to be a mirror. It's going to be love. It's, I'll wait on disappointment. Disappointment will make me wait. But love will make me run. Jesus wanted us to know that it doesn't matter how broken we are, that he's going to run to us. It says the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And listen to this, listen, this is important. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know what that is? That's called repentance. This is key in the story. The son repented for what he had done wrong. He said, look, I, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I repent. I, I, I'm not worthy of this. I'm, I've, ugh, you don't even know what I've done. It's horrible. The father starts throwing a party immediately. I want you to think about the shock of this. Put it into your house. Your brother because it's always your brother, okay? Your brother screws up. My brother screwed up, all right? Jake's going to watch this screwed up. <laughs> right? He comes back. He's saying, Dad, I blew it. That's like I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore, whatever. And, and Papa Greg goes, start the grill! <laughs> Doesn't even acknowledge what his son is holding in his hand. Because look, this is, this is what happens. We come and we're just like, look, Father, I, I ruined it. I'm about to just throw it just, just here. It's like it's not, even a, it's not even a bowl anymore. It's like, do you have a box of the leftovers? All this is is a memory of what you gave me, it's all it is. And then the father begins to do something super unique. When the son comes, he, he goes through a series of significant things that we might just read over, but if we were alive then, they were huge statements. The first thing that the father does is that he puts a robe on his son. That, that robe represents the forgiveness and the covering of his father's house. This, this robe was significant because it came over him and he would have had to feel it. I am now accepted in my father's house. And how many of you have felt even God do that to you, but your core is like, oh, I'm still broken. Why? Because we don't want to believe that God loves us. We want to read it. We just don't want to believe it. But Jesus is like, you know, when you come back, 
when you come back, you know what it's like? It's like, it's like this robe comes over you and I'm covering you and I'm marking you. You are mine. And then he puts a ring on his finger and that ring would have represented identity. The family seal would have been on that ring. So everywhere that he went, now he wasn't just speaking for himself. He was speaking for his family. And then he put sandals on his feet. Why? Because he gave him a fresh purpose. He said, the game's not over, son. The game's not over. The game is not over. It says this. Let me read the passage to you. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, not just a robe, the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and then bring a fattened calf, and we're going to kill it, and let's have a feast, and let's celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and so they began to celebrate. How long do you think it was from when the son came into the house to when the dance party started in the living room? How long? Here's what I think. I think knowing me, and I put myself in this story, I think the dance probably party started without the son who had been forgiven at first. Because he was like, no way. There's no way. I'm I, like, how in the world are these broken pieces? Like, how... How is this worth celebrating? Like I've, I've, I've been washed up, used up, broken up. What God was showing us is that the brokenness in our lives we think disqualifies us. But because of what Jesus did for us, it doesn't matter how many pieces your life is in. You can be restored because of what he's done in spite of what you've done. And I want to end with showing you something. Can I show you something really cool? There's this Japanese art form called Kintsuga, and I'm probably saying that wrong because I'm not from Japan. I know that's a shocker to some of you. But this entire art form is about taking broken pots and fusing them back together again using gold. Because the art form is built around the beauty of the restoration. You don't look like a bunch of broken pieces when you come back to Jesus. No, what Jesus does is he fuses you together. And this beautiful bowl is now like there's gold that's a part of it. You know what they say? This is now stronger because it was broken. And the glory of God now has gotten into the crevices of that broken place. That's why the father didn't care about the waste that his son was bringing him back. Is because, look, God's just like, I can put it back together and it's going to be more beautiful and more strong and it's going to be able to do more and hold more and be more because it's going to understand that it is by grace that you've been saved, not by 
works. Amen. And if you are here this morning, I want you to know God loves you. And if you feel like the sun walking down the road and you've just got like a big pile of pottery and you're just like, dude, this is just me. This is where I'm at. I've ruined my life. I've broken everything. I've made bad choices. I've put my money in the wrong place. I spent my money doing the wrong things. I've made horrible decisions. I cheated on my wife. I I broke up my family. I ruined everything. And you're here and you're like, dude, I know you're going to let me sit in here. But like I've ruined everything. God's like, don't leave. Don't leave a bunch of broken pieces. Receive the restoring power of the glory of God to put you back together again. Yeah, you were broken. But our God's a restorer. He's a healer. And he loves you. Do me a favor, stand to your feet. If you are here and you're like, you know what, I need to encounter the restoring love of God. You're like, JD, I'm that, I'm that guy. I'm, I, I am that girl. I've, I've wasted everything. I've broken my life up. It's been destroyed. It's been messed up. And, and, and you're here and you're just like, oh my gosh, I've heard that scripture, John 3, 16. I know it to be true in my mind, but I don't believe it in my heart. God so loved you. God so loved you. God so loved you. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I want everybody to close their eyes. If you want Jesus to restore you right now, I just want you to raise your hand up. I want to pray for you. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. So right now I want you to just receive this prayer. Lord, I'm asking right now the restorative grace of heaven to fall over every single person it feels like they've blown it. it. feels like they've wasted it. It feels like that it's all used up and all wasted out. Lord, would they encounter your forgiveness today, the power of your forgiveness and the resurrection that we celebrate today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Come on, let's just worship together.